When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Well, you know what they say. A true classic never goes out of style. Is this shit? Never mind, child. Jesus, the music scene's gone to hell since I've been dead. That's more like it. That's my transition for this week, this episode, I guess. <laughs> you know what they say. <laughs> a true classic. <laughs> Works for never anything. Never goes out of style. This is where we're going to talk about the score and soundtrack. Hey, remember earlier on when I teased about how there are other connections to Brian De Palma works? Remember that? I said, uh, yeah, stay tuned. Yeah. Guess who composed this movie? Pino. Pino. Pino DiNaggio, whose most famous scores included Don't Look Now, Carrie, Dress to Kill, Blowout, and The Howling. And we went to great discussion about Pino. Tanagio on our Howling episode a couple years ago. So you can check that out for more. But I'll just add that Pino's score in Seed is very influenced by the Howling score. And if you want the score, it was released by La La Land Records, but it's now out of print. So maybe I'll say right now that it's probably thousands of dollars to find it. But Mac will do research and say, actually, you can go on Amazon used and get for 20 bucks. So yeah, we'll figure this out. And someone's selling it for... Um, it's funny because knowing, I, I obviously, I think at the time I did not pick up on those fucking Pino Dinaggio. They got to do the score for this movie. It was pretty incredible. But when, when I was watching the scene when John Waters' tabloid photographer, a journalist, is about to get killed, it's it's very similar to Carrie's score when the pig's blood's about to be dropped. I mean, it, is, it sounds like it's just cut and paste from it. And I think that's deliberate. There's like the red lighting on him. There's the red lighting at the prom when they're about to pull the rope. So there are definitely some cues throughout. I'm not sure if how familiar everybody is with Pino Dinaggio and his type of music and and how you felt it was incorporated here. But Mac, do you have something? Well, I was watching with my girlfriend and she looked at me and I, I, we looked at each other at the same time and we, we both were picking up heavily on, you know, when, when Chucky and Tiff, like their theme comes on. It was like very much like Marion and Indy's theme. <laughs> you oh, know, wow. like okay, when, when they first see each other, it's like very much that theme from Indiana Jones, which is ridiculous. John Williams. Yeah, yeah. If anything else. See, yeah. I, I I was thinking it was like um <clears throat> oh, excuse me. 
Um, I was thinking of like Han Solo and Leia's theme on that it, mm. part as well. Very well, John Williams. They're very similar themes, so yeah, I could I could hear that too. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, guess what yeah. I thought? It sounded like uh, Harrison Ford and Kristen Scott Thomas's love theme from Random. Oh, Hearts. Random Hearts. Whoa. Yeah. Oh. City Pollock. What about you, Caffrey? Well, what do you think yeah. it sounded like with Harrison Ford? Uh, six days and seven nights. Uh, <laughs> And Haitian and Harrison Ford. And and I also thought it sounded like uh, River Phoenix and Harrison Ford's theme from Mosquito Coast. Oh, interesting. So a lot of Harrison Ford connections here. I wonder if Pino did any of those scores. I thought it sounded like uh, the score for Medicine Man starring Sean Connery. I'm just oh, trying God. to come up oh, with like the okay. wow. anything with Last Crusade now. Okay, we got indie connections. <laughs> Medicine Man uh, directed by. John oh, McTiernan. I, oh, really? I didn't I actually didn't know. Yeah, I, I've never that? seen Medicine oh. Man. I just it was like one of those VHS boxes. I never that saw I, either, yeah. but it was a reteaming yeah. of Sean Connery and him from the Hunt for Red October. That's all I'm gonna. <laughs> well, we were definitely doing a Halloweenies episode. We managed to talk about Sean Connery and Medicine Man for some reason. <laughs> Listen, I got I, we gotta get back on track here. So, you know, it's a classy theme because you got fucking Pino Donaggio doing it. And by having Pino Donaggio doing the score. There's a character in this movie that was written for Quentin Tarantino, and he thought that he would be able to get him on if he knew that Pino was doing the score because Tarantino is a huge Brian De Palma fan, and obviously De Palma used Donaggio in a number of his biggest movies. You know what character was written for Tarantino? It was Redman's character, wasn't it? Redman's character was written so, for Tarantino. That's such a... Weird. I like Redman a lot in this. I actually think it's really funny that, he, once again, he's kind of, it, it's he's just such a random actor not an actor like personality to have in this role but it does speak to the era in a really nice way and i feel like with red man it does you you get this nice like they're both kind of mid-tier which is funny you know it's almost like they're bottom feeders both of them whereas whereas tarantino i feel like it, it becomes a whole th- there's such a level of status there for him it's at a whole other time. movie it's yeah, a whole different yeah. movie yeah that's so it's funny, a different though. type of movie wait now I just realized I can connect Cedar Chucky and the franchise as a whole to a video game through oh. Red Man. Oh my god, oh. what is it? Uh Red Man plays himself in this movie, plays himself in Def Jam Fight for New York for the PS2 oh, and Def Xbox. Jam. Wow, Fight yes. for New York. Yeah, an all-time banger of a fighting game. Pick your favorite rapper and beat the snot out of each other. Yeah, I remember Def Jam. I remember Incredible. Parappa the Rappa also, but uh, so was he also in the video game? We'll never Rappa? know. I not no, Had he wasn't. Been. But now that I think about it, see to Chucky, Def Jam, same universe because Redman plays himself in both. Oh wow! Interesting, interesting. Maybe we could have Chucky as like a secret uh, character, or, like a rapper in it, or something like that. Yeah. Bring 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 them both back for the next Def Jam game. The Def Jam Twitter keeps teasing it, but we'll see if they follow through one day. And yes, I'd rather see Chucky in something like that rather than multiplayer game. Oh, Chucky is one player and then the rest are survivors trying to outlive him. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just like to think that there's going to be like a secret code that you can just punch in like at the arcade, you know, and and then you get chucky comes out and and there's like a rap battle in this oh game my gosh instant do, instant five out of five right do y'all think because i feel like uh, you know there was that period where 
there was like a rap to every movie, right? Sort of thing, like the Adams Family mm-hmm. rap and whatever else. I feel like now they can kind of do that as a joke in films. Do you, do, you, do you feel like Chucky could get away with that? Like if Chucky, one of the Chucky shows ended with like Chucky rapping, do you think that could work at this point? Oh, yeah, I think oh. so. You know, if you go there, you can never go back, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they'll ever, if they'll ever actually, actually go for it. There's like weird 90s nostalgia right now. I think that they they could definitely probably do it and people would be into it. Now, there was not an official soundtrack for Seed of Chucky. However, however, there were absolutely songs in Seed of Chucky. And don't worry, I've got all the information right here. Frederick has a song called Cut It Up. You hear it in the closing credits and also... I think when Redman pulls up to Tiffany's house or to Jennifer Tilly's house for the first time, mm-hmm. you literally hear cut it up. And then he turns the car off. And I said, Hey, I researched that song. Frederick is produced for Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg's respective labels. He's worked with Eminem, Ice Cube, 50 Cent, Hillary Duff, and somebody who makes an unofficial appearance in this film, Britney Spears. Ah, Frederick up. produced... I don't know this song, but maybe somebody here does. Ooh, Ooh Baby from Britney's Blackout album. Uh, of course, not to be confused with Ooh, Ooh Baby from Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning. My favorite song <laughs> by Demon in that movie. All right, so then also, Full Blown Rose. It's got a couple songs here. They've got the cover of Blondie's One Way or Another, which we hear in the closing credits. Mm-hmm. Also, the song Get Your Hands Up. Anyway, uh, next up, no, but Joe. Yeah, I'm like, I don't remember these at all. Joe Canagliriaro, I think I pronounced her name right, from Full Blown Rose, who sings it. She went on to sing the theme song. How topical is this shit? Get ready for this. The theme song for Living with Fran, starring current Screen Actors Guild president Fran Drescher. Jesus. You can't make this stuff up. You <laughs> wow. cannot make this stuff up. This is true. It's the truth. Always, Wait, what was uh, Living with Fran? How about that? Yeah. I think it was a reality show li- with Fran Drescher. I, I, Dan, I have no fucking clue. I don't remember this at all. I remember the nanny. You know what I mean? I, I, I thought it was like a kind of like a New Adventures of Old Christine, like a continuation of her like trying to be an actress. And Oh, was it one of those? Like, like she's was, playing herself, like Jennifer Tilly's playing herself in Seat of Chucky? Was it meta? I'm maybe, not going to go on my internet again to, to check this out. So I got to continue on here. I'll look, yeah. The band Headland. The song "Little Green Men." Uh, they were they are a, they were a Scottish band. That's all I got here. I don't know when that song's in the movie. To be honest with you, the band Fuse has the song "Smack Wham." Uh, short-lived band fronted by Eli Braden, who I, who I believe is also a comedian that appeared on Howard Stern several times. I believe that's correct. Now. What's that song playing when Britney gets driven up, when the, the character Britney Spears gets driven off the road? It's a song called Tell Me That You Need Me, performed by Whitney Jordan, written by Paul Taylor, who did the theme song for the CBS show Sabrina the Teenage Witch from the 2000s. Also songs for, get, get, listen to this combo, Bruno and Joe Bell. How about that? How about that combo? The latter two showing <laughs> Paul Taylor could do it all, apparently. <laughs> the all sides of the spectrum. And then, of course, the artist Annie with the song 
Get it? Get it. That's all I got. Annie's probably the biggest name on that soundtrack, I think. Well, wait, who's Annie, Dan? I really don't know who this is. Uh, she was kind of like a dance pop indie artist. She was like a similar to like Robin. She had an album called Animal, like Animal, but Annie, uh, that was like praised by Pitchfork around this time. Like she had like indie street cred, I feel like, or, around this era. Unless it's wow. a different Annie, but yeah, I, I don't know her music super well, but I feel like she she's honestly, she's like really the only. Let's look at this list again. Well, yeah, I listen, think this I'll take is your that, word for it. I think she is the only artist on here uh, who I know. Not that I'm the, the end person all be all. who I had no information <laughs> for apparently was the most successful. I guess I got to work on my investigations, unless you're dead wrong. Is there really no Red Man featuring Method Man song on this soundtrack? Now, I will say this there is a Red Man song that name checks Chucky. Mm hmm does not appear in this movie. I don't know what? why. I don't know if there budget. were musical rights issues. <laughs> was it done? If it was, was that it Bucharest after? budget. <laughs> What's going was on? Was it recorded after? No, it was before. It was before this movie. Wow. Weird. Why would yeah. they do that? I'm telling, look, budget. I, they listen, were recording, I, they had Headland and Full Blown Rose on the soundtrack. You you, know what I mean? It wasn't in Universal's music library? I don't think like, so. I don't think so. Not in the movie. Huh. That's all I know. It was not in this but, movie. So, Fran Drescher... Uh, living with Fran. This is the plot. Fran Reeves. Okay. A, fra a frantic Jewish divorcee fell madly in love with Riley Douglas Martin, a lovely hunky contractor half her age who moves in with her and her nasty exes to adolescent children. So just a, just a show, just like a, a show. It wasn't a reality show or anything like that. She just happened to have know, the same this first movie, name. In this movie, Jennifer Tilly lusts after her younger limousine driver and tiffany and chucky oh, kind of act like adolescents living in the uh, house at the time we're going for stretches here but yeah, one thing's for right. sure here's chucky a good guy i know it i know you get me one show me how he works okay hi i'm andy what's your name hi i'm chucky and i'm your friend to the end <laughs> of course, this section we're going to be talking about the murders of the Child's Play film. See if Chucky, as I get really serious for a second here, and we got to start off with the guy in the title, Chucky himself, returning champion Brad Dourif, during doing during, if you want to pronounce it that way, the Chucky voice yet again. Never stepped foot in Bucharest, by the way. All pre-recorded again with Jennifer Tilly in the United States of America. dot com. Uh, what can we say about Chucky in this movie? Anybody have any favorite moments of the Chuckster? Dan, I know you always get a kick out of uh, some of the comedic bits. I'm, I'm guessing this movie is the same case. Yeah, I I think he levels up in this movie just because we are getting to see him be a dad, which is like a new level for it. And like you all said, there are, I mean, I don't know if I would call Chucky a good father, probably not, but um He's a bad person. He's a serial killer. But they, they and they get into this in the show more. But I, you know, in certain aspects, he he is more tolerant than I think you would expect him to be. I mean, he still does obviously like other other Glenn and, and Glenda. But like, there is this weird sort of effort to try and be accepting and and to sort of do the domestic marital bliss thing also with Tiffany in this, which I enjoy seeing. As opposed, to, I feel like the end of or Brave Chucky, which I also like, but Brave Chucky, I feel like they're just kind of fall on at each other's throats for most of the movie. So mm -hmm. I like seeing Chucky kind of try to 
do this and sort and sort of fail and everything like that. You know, but then still make fun of Glenn and Glenn when they like piss themselves. It's like I mean, it's like it's like he can't help the cruelty, right? But so he he's still uh, like he's still cracking me up. Uh, this whole movie, also too, with like it's so dumb, but I, it makes me laugh every time where he has to um you know give the sperm sample and then he asks Tiff like, hey, how about a little help? And she flashes like her doll press. And he's just like. Oh, that's the first time me. the first time they had like nudity in the Chucky. That's films, right. right. I, yeah. I feel <laughs> like uh I feel like between Bride and this, like Team America was taking some cues uh not too long after this with the puppet mm-hmm. sex scene. Like I, I really do feel like that this this was a good era for uh for doll sex. sex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh Lord. But there's some weird like and it's I I don't know, I don't know if I'd call that a sweet moment, but it's like sort of it's different than Chucky just being a little shit. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I, I like the Chuckster in this movie. I mean, look, there's no movie where I don't love Chucky. So yeah. My one what note is I would love to have been in on the recording session when Academy Award nominee Brad Dourif has to vocalize uh, masturbating as Chucky <laughs> in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the booth. <laughs> like the moaning, the, that weird moaning he's doing. I don't know what the direction was. It must have been hilarious. It's almost, like, it's almost like he's kind of getting frustrated, you know, because he's still got like doll parts. It's like, ah, like, I don't know. Look, it's, it's, it's he a, never it's a phones it in. Here's no, I the agree. thing. Whether or not you like Chucky or his voice, he makes specific choices. Case in point with this, like he's not just going like, oh yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> okay. It's some, it makes sense to him, whatever he's doing. So it's a passionate I, I performance that. always yeah. with Brad Dorf. Mac, any yeah. standout Chuck moments for you? Yeah. I mean, I, I love how it's the dolls from the film about the events of Bride of Chucky that where they come back because you know, they're like pristine looking in this pretty much throughout, you know what I mean? Like usually by the end, they're mauled, blown up, charred, stabbed, dying, you know, like knife hand kind of thing going on. But they're pretty much just like normal, like just, just rolling through it as normal people in this. But yeah, Brad's giving his all. There was just some lines that just... Kind of, I kind of, it was like, it was an, again, uh, one of the first times where you're kind of on board with Chucky and who they're going after. You know, it's like these, like, just Hollywood, the worst of Hollywood, paparazzi, mm. you know, like you want to see them go out to the paparazzi. Like, it's kind of a weird turn where you're kind of like weirdly rooting for them. And I feel like you already start to get that a little bit in pride, but now we're kind of, We've kind of always been team Chucky, but in like a, in a bad way, you know, like we're not supposed to be rooting for him in those first two films. Now, now you're kind of like, Oh, this is just fun. But yeah, he, he's really giving his all. And I was trying to figure out if, cause we have, this is just where we're talking about the villain progression in general. Right. I mean, obviously we're leading with Chucky, but we, we got to start talking about Tiffany too. Right? Well, that was my next, that my yeah, next thing yeah. here is, uh, is let's, let's try to just talk about Tiffany the doll as opposed to Jennifer Tilly as a totality. We'll save that for the next category. Did you pick up on when Tiffany calls that woman and apologizes for killing her husband? Yes. Did you recognize the name? Yeah. It's the, it's the cop from the first movie, uh, Bride of Chucky, right? The cop, Robert <laughs> Bailey is the cop she kills in the beginning of Bride of Chucky. So they really do could do the, the continuity here. But before we get to Tiffany though, I mean, Rain, I know, I, I guess you're a big, you're a Mark Hamill stan, but what do you think about Brad Dourif as Chucky specifically in this movie? So big Brad Dourif fan, 
and he always makes these movies worth watching regardless of their quality. I agree. But I will say for Sita Chucky, he like really brings it home as like, I, I don't want to say it's the first time he feels comfortable playing the character, but he's just like firing on all cylinders, like full freedom to like do and say and deliver any line how he wants. Like it feels like where the character truly like became his mm. like before it was just like, oh, killer doll. But now it's like, oh, Brad Dorif and Chucky are like synonymous, synonymous, synonymous. synonymous yeah, yeah, they're not, they're now one in the same. Well, there he was given much more free reign as the movies went on to improvise more and more too, as opposed to the other way around where he had to really kind of match things up with, because he he wasn't even hired until after they had done all of Child's Play, you know. So this is how far his role had gone in the years since. But Mac, you have something to add? Yeah, no, I was just gonna say I think they, you know, it's it's they know who Chucky is now. There's a lot of this movie where it's just them talking. They never have to like play doll except for like that one time. And they're also interacting with another doll. So there's just a lot more dialogue going on than usual. And when it's just the puppets talking to puppets, they're, you know, obviously they have to sync it with the mouth and stuff like that, but they can do a lot more where they're not trying to sync it with the actual live human performance. So they kind of give them more free reign to just, to just kind of fly off the handle. And I like that in this one. I think the chemistry with Jennifer Tilly comes through and you know they again they were able to kind of record with each other it wasn't like they were recording separately and so once again tiffany is back in this movie and my favorite line of this movie is the somber they're executing martha stewart this morning i thought that was <laughs> really good this is of course this is around the time that she was i think yeah she was arrested for um yeah yeah for stock was it for fraud in the, in the exchange or something like that anyway yeah. pretty wild stuff what did you think about uh, Tiffany in this movie, Raina? What did you think? I I love Tiffany as a character. And once again, I feel like this is where Jennifer Tilly was allowed to run wild. I want to say like her puppet like itself, like in this movie, looks far better than it does in Brighted Chucky. Like mm, interesting. In Brighted Chucky, it felt like a little like stiff. And this one, it like m- she moves like just as much as Chucky. Yeah. Like, I, that's I correct. Agree. Yeah. I, I think they leveled up on the effects for, for both dolls. Uh, it's a lot more fluid in this movie. Yeah. Well, I think the technology went a long way I and mean, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit in our, in our effects section. It's I, just uh, natural that special effects are going to get better and better as, as they, as they go on. I mean, what can I say? It, it's almost hard to imagine these, this movie, any child side movie, let alone the series without tiffany at this point it's kind of especially if you watch season two of the show Raina. yeah can i add that tiffany has my favorite joke in this movie yeah where jennifer tilly is screaming and her assistant's on the phone and she's like i can hear you screaming though and she's like oh bound is on cable gina gershon is fingering <laughs> me, <doing> me. <laughs> <laughs> many bound jokes in this movie that would Look, this all gets tied back into the TV I, show. I, I'm, I'm telling you, they do a really good say, job. Bounds, nothing is left behind. Bound only becomes a a bigger presence as it goes on. Crucial. I think some, yeah, I would argue Tiffany slash Jennifer Tilly eventually with this. I, I think weirdly does become the most complex character in in the Child's Play series. I know that might sound silly to say, but we no, really see not. with this movie. 
because she actually does. I mean, a Chucky kind of does what he can to be a dad, but he's also a sociopath. And I actually mm-hmm. don't know if Tiffany's a sociopath per se. What I like about this movie, I feel like in the previous movie, it's almost more of this just obsessive want to be loved by Chucky or by Charles Lee Ray, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in this, she actually starts questioning what they're doing because she's a parent. And that, I mean, and I say this as a parent, any parent does that, right? Like they start to reevaluate their own behavior and how it's influencing their child and why they are the way they are. It's like Mancini said and Brad Chucky, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, she, he's like, he's like, Tiffany is that killer with a heart of gold and Chucky's a killer who's just a piece of shit. Like there's a difference between the two of them and like <laughs> yeah. their motives and how they go about things. You know what I mean? Like we really do see sweetness in Tiffany and, uh, I, yeah, I, I just think that that's she almost has her she's almost has a more active role rather than a reactive role in terms of the relationships to others uh, throughout yeah, this. Sure. I mean, even to Jennifer Tilly, too, because we see her like idolizing her, too. Right. And I mm-hmm. she's still a villain. Obviously, she can't she has a hard time controlling her murderous impulses and still does kill a lot of people. But <laughs> I do think she wants what's best for uh, her child in this. Um, and but that's eventually what's wild. Children, right? That's what's wild, Dan. Like what you were saying earlier too with Chucky, is that they both seem like it could have been so easy for them to just be like, Chucky's gonna disown the child and say, "Oh, it's not my child. It's not mine. It's not mine," and just be a total asshole. But like they both, albeit conflicted, <laughs> they both really want to spend time with the child and like you know and like like are accepting of it being their child. You know, it's not like they're just you know trying to shove them off in the background or something like it's, it's just kind <laughs> it's of also, wild. it is kind of funny to see and they, and they obviously like glenn glenda for different reasons right and it is funny how they you know with uh with tiffany it's more of the traditional oh, no, i want to raise them right and everything and with chucky it's almost like the dad trying to force like his son being good at football or something yeah, yeah. but it's just it's murder it's instead killing. of football and I, I don't know that goes a long way for me uh, and and we get we get into some di- some different kinds of murder sequences which I know we'll talk about later because we see it enacted by a character who doesn't want to do it which is something we've not seen in the series so far you guys you know it's been nicer lately and in wisconsin you never quite know when winter is going to be in but it's been nice for like four days in a row and i'm like if sunnier days are coming it's time to fuel up and so i'm going back to my factor meals that no prep no mess i want to hit my weight goals before it's time to hit that beach you've got options like calorie smart protein plus keto Factor has these fresh, never frozen meals, dietitian approved guys. And here's the big thing for me, keeping out of the kitchen as much as possible, two minutes and these meals are ready. So it doesn't matter how busy you are, you've always got time. So treat yourself. They have 35 different meals to pick from, 60 add-ons to choose every week. You're always going to have new stuff to try. Have it whenever you want. It's effortless, guys. So if you'd like to try it yourself, head to factormeals.com slash badmovies50 and use code badmovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% 20% off your next month. That's code badmovies50 at factormeals.com slash badmovies50 to get 50% off of your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Well, let's talk about Shitface, which is what he's called. It's uh, so mean. Through the means. It's so cruel. Uh, Glenn Glenda, uh, voiced by uh, Billy Boyd here. Name again, uh, homage to the Edwood film. And here is from uh, New York Magazine. This is a... This is from Don Mancini. I want to make sure I got that right. He said, I wanted Chucky's child to be kind of Oliver Twist, a Dickensian waif. I wanted to make him a pacifist and sweet, which they do a pretty good job of. I think Billy Boy does have a real sweetness to his voice. 
they give to Glenn and Glenda. The Made in Japan bit, I think, is actually very funny. Like oh, the, the okay yeah. Okasan so and just yeah. just absolutely oblivious, doesn't understand what's happening here. And by the way, I was thinking at first, I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense because they're all manufactured in Chicago, I thought. But then I remembered <laughs> that this is for the movie and it's a movie doll. And also when Chucky was like we're trying to assign but that doesn't make sense this. Justin, because they they have him before <laughs> the movie no being but made. if you keep this in mind the beginning of brad chucky chucky's being put back together with different doll parts oh, so it probably was a doll yeah, arm right. from uh, some doll made in japan so i'm just trying to save the day the, here the, Rina, reboot go ahead. Do, the reboot doesn't have this problem it it sets up its doll in like the first five seconds that's all i'll say like there's no the question solved the problem the, of reboot, the reboot solved the problem of where the hell did this doll come from all right i'm definitely going to be watching this I, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this uh, yeah, with, with yeah. some space well, i'm definitely yeah. looking forward to watching this all right so let's here's something i do want to read here though this is this is this is going back to what you're saying at the very beginning rain i'm curious in your take on this because in reign of chucky the writers write this and i and i, and I see where they're coming from especially when this book came out, they say, quote, if we're being completely honest, seeds ending cops out a bit by taking the twins route as a solution to Glenn's dilemma to take a non, to take a non-binary person and split them into two binary identities. It begs the question, was Glenn really gender fluid or just mentally ill with multiple personalities? Certainly there's enough trauma here to justify the latter, but is that what was truly intended for the character? It's hard to imagine the franchise going with the same ending today. So there's some thoughts I've got on that, but Rena, I'm curious in your take on where they are coming from with this. If you're just watching the movie 19 years ago, not knowing what's going to come up in the TV show eventually. Yeah, I just don't think this movie was well-equipped to tackle subject matter of that magnitude because, Mm -hmm. you know, every day, even now, like trans people are out there fighting for their identities saying, Oh, I'm not mentally ill. This is who I am as a person. And to have this, I know it's like we joke Budapest budget, but to have this big budget horror movie come out and have this character at the center, literally the title character, be this multiple personality, non-binary, quote unquote freak. It's 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 damaging, like whether it's Mm -hmm. that's the intent or not. And I think Don Mancini as a cis gay man was swimming up the wrong river in trying to tackle themes like that. I haven't seen the show, so I don't know how it rectifies it, Mm -hmm. but I would be insanely curious because honestly, the themes around Glenn and Glenda are a big reason I don't like this movie that much today. Yeah. I think it's this honestly kind of reminds me of ironically enough, the movie Glenn or Glenda. Like mm-hmm. I say, when you're watching the movie, you, you know that they're coming from it without like hateful intentions and they're trying to be, they're just trying to incorporate these themes that they're not seeing a lot in films at their respective times. But again, 20 years later, especially, it's just a lot of it sticks out like a sore thumb. Now, I will say without spoiling too much is that they definitely resolve the Glenn, okay. Glenda situation really, really well, well, in my opinion, in the yeah. TV show. But again, that's the TV show 20 years later, you know? So yeah. it's it's conflicting also because obviously you're trying to introduce 
you introduce the idea of a non-binary character. Mm-hmm. They don't even use the term non-binary. It's really that wasn't being used a lot, I guess, 19, 20 years ago in mainstream, in mainstream cinema. But once you present that, it's hard to now all of a sudden back down and go the dress to kill route, right? It's it's well, hard once you present it. You well, can't I really guess do I'm that. just curious because if I'm remembering correctly, so human Jennifer Tilly has two babies, Glenn mm-hmm. and then Glenda, but Glenn Glenda is still a puppet and still there too, right? At the end, because don't they no. open up? They don't. They're not there at all. The, the puppet goes the into both split yeah okay okay i i was misremembering that We're but like, even that just, gets resolved in an interesting way in the tv show i'll put it that way yeah because i was gonna say like glenn and glenda like it's it's presented as this multiple personality thing but they have like one soul it doesn't make sense that they would end up occupying both bodies at the end of it and that's not how bin- non-binary no. people yeah. work. <laughs> right. I'll just say, I'll say this. This isn't really spoiling. I think, again, the show's been out for a year. Is that, mm-hmm. is that the show has Glenn and Glenda, Glenn and Glenda played by a non-binary performer. See, and both that, Glenn and Glenda right are off, both non-binary on the show. Okay. See, like, right coming out of the gate is like, that is like a way better handling of it than this movie did in yeah. its entire runtime. I think I just think Don Mancini learned lessons and heard things along the way. I'm I, I, right. That makes sense, right? And that's yeah, why he made the decision well, to do that. Well, yeah, it's like that wasn't as visible. Those concepts weren't as visible in 2004 as they mm-hmm. are yeah. today. And the fact that he was able to go back to his IP, his creation, and go like, "No, you know what? I'm going to do that right." honestly earns like a ton of respect in my book for for him the fact that he was willing to learn and do the right thing by it he does and the characters are also they serve a huge part in the second season they're not just cameos or anything like that so oh so it's like a full-blown like oh yeah they're they're major characters 100 percent. yeah it's fascinating to watch it's that's one of the things i think we talk about a lot about the show is we just love the fact that they don't shirk away from any of the entries that bombed. They embrace it. It's part of the family and they evolve the characters in a lot of ways, obviously, especially with the Glenn and Glenda character. So anyway, but uh, anyway, that's what we, we had to address that. I feel like for mm-hmm. sure the Glenn and Glenda uh, character, but yeah, check out, check out the TV series. I feel like we're shilling for the TV series. I swear uh, they never promote the show. It's, <laughs> We've got nothing it, it's to hard. It's hard show. to get into too much detail. Yeah. Without spoiling it, but uh, yeah, it's, it yeah. is. It is. We think, we think I'm you like, won't be, dis- we design producers. You won't be yeah. disappointed. You'll, 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 you'll love it. That, that I will. Season, I will yeah. definitely watch it. I I'll give it a shot because, you know, especially now that I hear it fixes like my main problem with the series being Glenn Glenda. It really does. I'm really, I'm really, really. Oh, Mark Hamill's uh, child's play might have some competition Uh-oh, depending Mark. on, on uh, how it lands. No, he'll tweet. He'll tweet I, about it. Don't. We don't should tell let him. you know though. They don't really get too much into the Glenn Glenda stuff till season two. Uh, uh, there's some of it yes, in season true. one, yeah. but it's, it's so. If I know that's always tough when it's like, well, no, just watch ten episodes. If you don't, if you don't like it, just watch ten hours of television. So you know. Well, to be Listen, fair, Glenn and Glenda don't show up in the first season, so it doesn't. It's like yeah. it's there. I mean, Listen, it. as as a fan of Halloween Ends, I had to endure the slop that was Halloween Kills to get to the good core 
Hey, uh, congratulations, you're Raina, good company. You're, you're on company. the right podcast. We all yeah. like Halloween ends. <laughs> Nobody I, else does I, with us. I think somebody told me like my tweet was actually brought up on that Halloween Kills episode. So, um, oh, was it? What did you say about Halloween Kills? I think I was so, super vague the weekend it came out, but all I tweeted was, "Oh, making a movie for the fans, quote unquote, is not an excuse to make a bad movie." Oh, that's a good quote. I'm, I probably did use I'm sure that. Justin pulled Somebody that. must have like, oh, that's like my put on my tombstone. Okay, well, let's move on though to our next category called uh, "Good Guys and and Glendas." Glenn, guess again, Daddy. Glenda, that's my name. Don't you wear it out? Oh shit. All right, so now I really want to talk about Jennifer Tillier, who has cemented herself as a major figure in this franchise, and who has to do so much here. Let's let's all kind of go around the roundtable and really think about this. Well, first of all, in the interview, Mancini gives thanks to her and Brad Dourif, and he says, I knew going to this that having them as the stars of my directing debut was going to be a huge asset to me, not just because of their talents, but because I also knew that they'd be gentle with me as they popped my directorial cherry. Very colorful, Don Mancini. So we've got, in Bribe Chucky, Jennifer Tilly playing the role of somebody named Tiffany, whose soul then goes into a doll. Okay, so we've got that established. This movie has that doll stalking Jennifer Tilly, who is playing herself, who is also playing the character, the human character of Tiffany, whom we meet in Bribe Chucky. And then by the end of it, the, Your eyes the are like human uh, Tiffany who's in the doll Tiffany then possesses human Jennifer Tilly who's being played by Jennifer Tilly who is now playing Tiffany. It's just, it's wild, but she really does pull it off in a way that you believe that she's playing all these different characters. I think she's terrific in this. She's always good as Tiffany as the, as the, as the series goes on. Yeah. Mac, did you follow anything I just said? I did. I didn't realize it was as complicated as you were making it <laughs> until you started going oh, yeah. down the route. Because I was like, oh, yeah, no, she was that. Because I I, I even said before Seed, Seed of Chucky, because I hadn't rewatched it yet, I even asked Justin like a few weeks ago, like, how does she re-enter the franchise? Because after watching Bride, I was like, she's gone. <laughs> she's dead, you know? Like, But I forgot it was the actress that, <laughs> that comes in. and So, yeah, it's it's wild. But she does a really, really great job. And it's always fun to see actors poke fun at themselves, especially like I, I, it just really worked for me. And this is the second time around. I, I don't know. Uh, Raina, what do you think about what's your general take on Jennifer Tilly? How do you think she did in this film? Oh, as a big uh, Bound fan, I'm mm. a huge fan of her. Um, <laughs> and I love how much of a trooper she is in these movies. Um, I never really thought of the ending. I'm like, holy shit, the TV series probably does have to follow up on that. So now I really need to watch this show, <laughs> but I, I love her. I think she's extremely underrated as an actress and mm-hmm. the fact that she's able to play a human, a doll, a, a human possessed by a doll in one movie and have it be coherent yeah. is actually really impressive in my book. Yeah. It's down to her dedication to the role. I mean, she's, she was only about a couple of years after being nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. To, into doing Bride Chucky. And she, as the years have gone on, she's never slept walked through it. She really does treat it with 
a lot of respect for as goofy as the proceedings generally are, you know? I feel she comes into her role as Tiffany faster than Brad Dorif came into his role as Chucky. Like interesting. And in a way, this movie levels the playing field between them. Oh, in this particular entry, yeah. I think at this yeah. point they are now officially, even though it's it's called Bride of Chucky, I feel like this is the t- this is the first time they're really it feels like it's a dual movie as opposed to a Chucky movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. Dan, what do you think? Is it hyperbole to say at this point i mean yeah i know jennifer tilly had, wait she she won an oscar or just meg tilly meg tilly was only nominated for an oscar i don't think she won her oscar for Agnes did of jennifer God. tilly win for bullets over broadway no she was nominated nominated okay either way started off in theater and has before this had many prestigious roles too and then you mm-hmm. know done done things like bound and the getaway and whatnot but would you argue that and i don't mean this as a slight has this become her defining role the way that like Laurie Strode has for Jamie Lee Curtis or I, I, yeah, yes, I think it has yes. at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's because of a, just her performance, just her performance as Tiffany alone in the first movie, um, you know, is enough to make her stand out. But then they're writing in this. I like what Max said about like, Oh, I actually didn't even realize it was that complicated until Justin said that. And I think that's because she has these nuances and differentiations between not just the doll and Tiffany, the human, but Jennifer Tilly as herself, Jennifer Tilly as Jennifer Tilly <laughs> merged with the doll and then all the different meta levels we get of it. Um, I'm telling you, it's wild. It, it, no, it's crazy. And I think, I think that's yeah. because I think it works so well because she is just game to do it. And I don't know, it would be almost be easier to do like, you know that have you ever seen the SNL sketch where that's Ian McKellen doing a one man Charles Dickens play and the way he's doing all the different personalities he's he's just like switching a hat around and doing different voices <laughs> really over the top. No, like, I haven't seen that. It, it's really funny. Yeah, it's, it's funny. literally just going like, oh, I did, oh, I, you know, like every time he switches his little knees. <laughs> I will check this out. <laughs> it's really funny. But I feel like it would almost be easy to do this these roles or this role like that, right? Like that's kind of the bad version of how you play several different parts from one person. Honestly, even the way Mike Myers does some of his stuff. No, look, I'm not Mike Myers is very talented and I, I love the first Austin powers and everything, but it's almost easier to go. So over the top way that it make the, make everything mm-hmm. so yep. different. Right. And she doesn't do that. She just seems to approach approach each kind of uh layer of the pyramid with a different level of pathos and just these slight different vocal tweaks. I, I think it's like really masterful. I mean, she yeah. makes fun of herself in this movie like crazy, and I always respect any actor who can do that. I mean, yes. she's taking the piss out of herself and her career, and the whole—I mean, the whole thing with Redman—it's—it's it's like ludicrous when you even just pairing Jennifer Tilly and Redman should not make sense. But the fact that she does that, and she's—I feel—I feel like by making fun of herself, and like Granny said, being a trooper, she just elevates this thing to the next level. So I—I I mean, I think she's like the MVP of the movie for me. I really love her performance. I mean. Front and beyond this too. Um, anyway, yeah. Once again, don't want to spoil too much. Well, there's something else we have to point out that um, I also noticed is there's a scene when she goes up to Chucky early on in the movie because she's hitting the candy bar there. Do you know what the candy bar is? No, what is it? It's a Mr. Good bar. Like the horror movie. Like she was looking for Mr. Good bar, and we know looking what happens to yeah, the- yeah. The Diane Keaton in that movie, so I th- that's had to have been a specific joke, right? That oh has yeah, to be I've never seen that Look movie. Look for Mr. Goodbar has to be specific. That movie is is 
it's based on a true story. I don't know how its politics have aged to uh, 2023. I will say that the ending is one of the most disturbing endings I have ever seen in a movie, and that's not being hyperbolic. Really? Wow. There's How about that? Seek it out. Like it, love it or hate it, the ending is it's incredibly well made. Huh. Yeah. Looking for Mr. Goodbar. The, the video box... <laughs> Does not indicate what's to come. I thought it was just some ro- like romantic drama from like 1980. It's not that, folks. Uh, Dan, you it's mentioned that... Red Man. We've been talking about Red Man a lot in this episode. We can kind of run through the rest of the characters because we're being honest. These are characters, general, generously characters. Yeah, I do like the idea that Red Man is making a Passion of the Mary movie. Basically, this is definitely in response to the Passion of the Christ that came out at the time. Again. We talked about he's a pretty good actor, but I do have a question here. Mm-hmm. There is so much food at their final date together. Do you notice that? It's just the two of them. And like it's just there's a lot of food. I guess that, that maybe caught my eye more than anybody else. Uh, a lot of food for red Maybe Man, you were hungry while you're watching it. Or maybe it was me. Maybe it was more than I thought. I guess Bo- maybe it was more Budapest than I thought. Budapest budget. That was also the catering table. Apparently, I think the 80% of the budget cuts went towards the catering for the scene. Yeah, like, but, but if, we, we, found if the money. we actually shoot the catered food, it's, you know, we can ride it off. Or something. They're yeah. like, well, instead of making sure that when the lightning is striking at the Hollywood sign, instead of making it look like the lowest budget of a 1982 syndicated TV show, let's just make sure that the, that the dinner table's got plenty of food. Uh-huh. That's what they're concentrating on. So the special effects in that scene, but we do, it, we'd be remiss if we didn't point out again, that red man, uh, a very, very uh, well-known rapper, especially around this time. A lot of collaborations with Method Man, whom he would co-star in, in the film How High, of course. Uh, How High is pretty funny, I think. Left and right. You know what I'm talking about? Method Man and him? Anyway, check out their careers. Some some good uh, tunes. Funkarama, Smoke Buddha, The Rock Wilder. Go play Def Jam. Go play Def Jam. They're yeah. all, it's all there, folks. It's all there. Def Jam, video game. Okay, let's run through these other characters here. Uh, you know, Joan, I did think her hairspray death was pretty brutal, I have to say. I, yeah. I give him credit for that. That was kind of shocking. Do you know who that actor is? She was um, in the UK group S Club. S Club 7. Oh, no. Yeah, they were famous really? overseas. That UK oh, talent. Yeah, very famous overseas. The character Sykes, which is a play on S-I-K-E-S, Sykes, who's the antagonist from, Oliver Twist. And of course, Klinglinda is based on more or less the characterizations of Oliver Twist. Okay, we can't spend time here. John Waters, folks, who plays Pete Peters, who loved Chucky. Do you know how he got this role? You probably don't. Or maybe you do, because I think I sent everybody the script. Let me tell you what I happened. Don't, I, I didn't read that part. I don't oh, know. here we go. All right. Let me dance, have a seat. Let me regale you the tale. Hmm. And this, there's a Crave Online interview, and Mancini mentions that he knew John Waters was a big fan because Justin Whalen, who played Andy in Child's Play 3, was in John Waters' serial mom with Kathleen Turner. And on that set, mom? John, I, I think he's one of the, the kids, I think. The kids were like the boyfriend of somebody in that movie. Yeah. He's in it. Isn't Matthew um, Lillard John, in Serial Mom? Am I making that up? Maybe. Sure. That would be like his yeah. first movie if it is. I think he's anyway, like one of the sons in it. Yeah. So John Waters told Justin Whalen that he's a big fan. And I guess 
over time, Justin Whalen told Mancini that. And who was the actually strike that? We'll just keep going here. Bottom line is that the special effects supervisor on seat of Chucky also worked on a dirty shame, which is John Waters' last movie that he's directed, which was a long time ago. It's like how long ago was a dirty shame? Bummer. 16 years ago, 20 years ago. Yeah, a um, long time ago. John Waters, for those of you who don't know, one of the biggest cult directors of all time, specifically for his work with The Great Divine, Rest in Peace, in the 70s with multiple maniacs, uh, Pink Flamingos, Female Trouble. And got some mainstream appeal, though, with Crybaby and Hairspray, which was then made into a very famous Broadway musical, which I think won Tony's. It's incredible to think about what he was doing in the 70s with Divine literally <laughs> yeah. eating dog shit on film <laughs> to <laughs> be the source for like a Broadway <laughs> musical. Hey, hooray for Hollywood. I'm all I'm all about it. So congratulations. A man, to a man of taste. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a man of taste indeed. I just love that 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 scene in the movie when they're like barat, you know, the the, the paparazzi are like like hounding Jennifer Tilly, mm. and and he comes up and says, "Are you going to be in Redmond's movie?" Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> love it! Great personality. Uh, how he's in this movie, obviously, he's not an asshole in real life, but he's very close to that in terms of his, uh, I guess, his public persona. Very amusing person for sure. John Waters, check him out. Oh, my my favorite story is how uh, st- he would hire Steve Buscemi to dress mm. up as him and, and send out Christmas cards. Uh, <laughs> instead, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this little mustache. He's very well, listen, funny, we'd yeah. be remiss if we didn't mention the great character of Stan. <laughs> and so we're going to keep going. No, I got to say, though, with that character. What, what because you, what it was you such a one-note character, character where every time you got to him, he was just trying to 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 get up the courage to say, I love you. I just thought that they weren't trying to give him any kind of characterization. <laughs> I mm. just like that. It was so flat <laughs> and so dumb. Well, I'll, I'll say this for him though. The actor, Steve Lawton is now an award-winning performer in audiobooks, And that's, I mean, that's genuinely a compliment. He's in a bunch of audiobooks. I didn't recognize a lot of them, but he's won awards for them. So more than I've ever fucking done. Uh, what can I say? You know, we've talked a lot about all these characters and what do a lot of them have in common? Well, a lot of them died. And uh, presto, you're dead. They never learn. So, who's next? Best kill of Seed of Chucky. Raina, what do you think is the best death scene in this film? Oh, uh, 100% Red Man. The steaming guts pouring Loved out the of the steaming guts. Loved Oof. Jennifer Tilly's timing of telling him to drop dead, and he just smacks onto the table like we'll crack glass. It hits the good gory beats, and it hits the good comedic bits. It's like kind of the mission statement of the slasher movie in one kill, mm. especially this series and where it's going, where it's gone. Uh, Dan, what about you? Best kill. I'm actually going to go with Glenn Glenda killing Chucky. I uh, just mm. because if you think about what's going on there just the <laughs> killing your father while they're your uh, dysfunctional father, abusive father while while they're telling you they're proud of you. I don't know, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I mean, even with some of the more problematic aspects that we've talked about with the character of Glenn and Glenda just 
purely as a story beat and the visuals of it, I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. It just it just gets to me in a weird kind of way. It just uh, some severe daddy issues going on display there. So, and I I can't think of a stranger death scene so far in the series, just in terms of the relationship. We like, I feel like it's usually just. You know, Tiff and Chucky killing people because they want to kill people. The, I feel like there's a lot of psychology going on there. So that's uh, that's my that's my vote for it. I actually really liked what you mentioned before, Joan's death with the hairspray and, you know, just totally tanking it over the, the staircase because it's brutal. But also, isn't it actually end up being Glenn Glenda that does that? Oh, that's when you think it's Tiffany. When you think it's Tiffany, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, that's right yeah. before the, the reveal happens. And that was pretty wild because I felt like of all the deaths, of all the deaths, that one stood out to me and it wasn't Chucky or Tiffany, you know? Like, I, know. I, I will say that it's also my favorite one. I think that also when the, when the cops come in at the very end, like the makeup effects on her face are really, really well oof. done. You know, they, they were obviously limited by a budget, but I think the, the special effects department did their best. And wow, what a transition because it is time to talk about those special effects and you know, we were, we were spitballing. We had a meeting about well, new category titles about special effects and what we should call them because we, we had that running bit about great graphics from Elm Street. But we came up with a pretty good one that we're pretty, we're pretty sure is going to work with the listening audience out there. And we are now calling the special effects section for the Child's Play series Great Graphics. <laughs> what do you know? Beat my score. <laughs> For great graphics, let's talk a little bit about who is not involved in this production and why. And I don't think anybody here will be shocked uh, as to why the great Kevin Yeager did not return for the very first time. Uh, as stated in the Reign of Chucky book, a couple things here, folks. I should say more than a couple. This time he would not be allowed to keep the animatronics once filming wrapped. He was not going to be allowed to keep, you know, Chucky, Glenn, Glenda, Tiffany. Quote, budget cuts, geography changes, crew restrictions, and what Jaeger felt was a sketchy tax scheme that involved asking him to ship empty boxes overseas. <laughs> End quote. Like Man, I don't know what's going on over here in Budapest. Wait, yeah. Bucharest, Bucharest or Budapest? Bucharest. Bucharest. Yeah, Bucharest. Bucharest. yeah Bucharest. I need to know more about this little bit. <laughs> Oof, Yeah. But he was fortunately replaced by someone who has had quite a notable career in and out of the horror genre, and Tony Gardner, who I said would work with John Waters in A Dirty Shame. His Alterian Inc. company took over the special effects for this movie. Here's some movies he's been involved with over the last 40 years that definitely have some incredible special effects and makeup. Uh, the 1980, I think it's the 1988 blob, the Chuck Russell blob, which has some great special effects. Darkman. Army of Darkness, he worked on. 127 Hours with the Arm. Uh, oof. And all the Jackass movies, including, including an Academy Award nomination for Bad Grandpa. The, the makeup on Johnny Knoxville is incredible in that movie. Oh, it's it great. deserves a nomination. Yeah, always. I love, I'm a huge, huge Jackass fan. Yeah, I love yeah. Jackass. He recently worked on Old, so he did the makeup on Old as well. And this is going to blow your minds. He is the guy who created the Daft Punk helmets. Oh, wow. Never really? surprised, never surprised with Daft Punk anymore after learning that one of them did the score to Irreversible. So they're oh, a wild that, card. You, couldn't, you could never look Wait. You could never listen to them again. Wait, that's true? 
Yeah, that's 100% true. Uh, one of them did the score to Irreversible and even had like music videos for like segments of the score. Wow. Gaspar No, hmm. another filmmaker out there, ladies and gentlemen. Google. When, when, they're, uh, when they're scoring that scene, did they have like the robot head on just like watching it? Like that's a, I feel like that's a horror movie in itself. I, oh my God. I don't even, I don't even want to know. They don't that's take a whole off those helmets, right? Conversation. Podcast. I don't know how to transition back into this. Listen, I got transitioned to this part of it is that Tony Gardner also worked on a movie called Hocus Pocus, which we've talked about on this season, which was co-written and produced by Child's Play producer David Kirshner. There you go. Mm. In the movie whole interview, and Raina, I think you mentioned this about Tiffany, Mancini acknowledges that, quote, advances in animatronics allowed for Tiffany to give a much more expressive performance this time. And Bride, she was a little stiff because her head is relatively small compared to Chucky's, and we literally couldn't fit in many servo mechanisms. Of course, we never had this problem with Chucky because he's always had such a big head in more ways than one. That's for Mancini. I don't know if he's a... It's, 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 Chucky's got a big dick? I guess so. <laughs> Maybe we'll find out in season three. And Tony Gardner is playing himself. He is the special effects technician that gets the wire to his neck and gets his head decapitated. Did, That's the special effects guy. Did y'all get shades of Wes Craven's new nightmare in that scene? Just the opening felt oh, very special similar to me. Tech. One, just the sure. meta, like the starting with the fake scene and then going into the, yeah, the special effects. I just, right, I mean, right. obviously it's a lot funnier, but yeah, that reminded me of that. Dan, I'm glad you mentioned that because Mancini, and, and, and I can't remember which interview it was, he did say he was obviously a little inspired by Wes Craven's new nightmare for this because of the real meta meta text of the movie so the opening of this movie if you know this there's uh supposed to be for lack of a better term come uh coming down the screen as we see sperm going into the canal and and forming the child that would become glenglinda and that is done by richard morrison here are some movies that he has done the opening credits for you might have heard of these spice world Uh uh-huh event horizon uh-huh. High Fidelity. Ooh. Wadrophenia. Hmm. Never heard of that one. It's based on the Who album kind of stings in it. Ah. Hellraiser. And the opening credits to Tim Burton's Batman, 1989, which are terrific wow, opening really? credits. Yeah. So yeah, nice career from Richard Morris. No, uh, not Look Who's Talking? Believe it or not, the sperm sequence and Look Who's Talking was not done by Richard Morrison. Unless I missed it, and then people at home are screaming at me. Hey, uh, but this is not the first time Look Who's Talking has come up on a Child's Play episode of Halloweenies. Um, if you want to listen to our Child's Play 3 episode, you can get a lot of conversation around. Raina, you were born later on in life, <laughs> later on all of us. Okay. Well, Raina, let me ask you this question. We, we just gave it away, but you know the the tagline for Child's Play 3 is... Look who's stalking. Mm-hmm. When you saw that, would you know what that's referencing? Yeah. I mean, my my mom is like 100% 80s kid. So she showed me a ton of 80s movies growing up. So I knew it was Look Who's Talking. Thank you. Almost Thank right you. away. I'm telling you, people know, because I was battling on the podcast that most people would not know what that movie was referencing. I said, people know what Look Who's Talking is. Most people know what Luke is talking is. Oh, and I would like know. to think so. I don't know. Anyway. There's a lot of young people out there now these days. There's a lot of young people, but they got books. 
You know what I mean? They got books. They can do research. Oh, they got books. Oh, yeah. They read the great Look Who's Talking. Mac, Mac, <laughs> Mac, Mac. You know what they say. <laughs> you just can't keep a good guy down. Come on, let's get out of here. <laughs> Hold on, Hold on. Very simple question for everybody here. You're watching this movie. You see what happens to Chucky. You see the last shot of the movie, which kind of gives it away. <laughs> Could Chucky have survived? I'm going to tell you right now, the answer is yes, because you see his arm jump out of the box and strangle Linglenda. Mac. Well, yeah, but also they changed the game where essentially doesn't matter what happens to him as long as you have the amulet and you say like the forward passage instead of the whole entire thing like in the first film very confused you with can, the, with the rules you can bring him out of any doll apparently so uh yeah he's absolutely out there still reina what's going on with jackie at the end of this movie i mean this is the fifth movie in a slasher <laughs> franchise i mean i think it's safe to say once you hit the fifth movie there's most likely going to be a sixth, whether you want to or not. I mean, they can't end it on five. That'd be like ending Halloween on Revenge of Michael Myers. Oh, thank Oof. God they didn't. Well, thank yeah. God they didn't. All right, Dan. So, you know, the end of this movie, could Chucky have survived? Of course. And I would say that even if we didn't see the arm, just because the rules have gotten so flexible at this point in terms of soul transference and what's required to transfer a soul and how much blood you need to transfer a soul and when whatever else. So yeah, I, I think I would believe it even if we didn't end on any kind of cliffhanger, I would assume he would be back for the next one. Fair enough. I mean, long story short, he lived. So, uh, there's no real easy way to transition to this next part. Um, now, park this piece of shit. All right, so let's give this movie... It's of the five good guy dolls, is that right? Is that how we're doing it? I don't know. We, sometimes we change it every, every episode. Sometimes yeah. we stick with something. You know, it's rogue pictures. Let's, let's go rogue and go our own way here. Let's go. Let's, so let's rate this out of five. Five Radus? No, no, no. Five, five good guy dolls. <laughs> I'll start uh, off. I do feel like this movie is sandwiched in between two of my... Uh, two of my more or less favorite entries in the franchise, if, if I'm being honest with you, not to spoil next month too much. And especially after watching the TV show, I feel like it would have been better served as maybe like an hour long premiere of one of the child's place of one of the Chucky seasons on USA sci-fi. I, the direction is a, is a step down from the people who have directed it before. I don't think Mancini, I mean, I, I consider this, this is serious, but I just don't think he had, the eye at the time, I think he's much better served as a writer and kind of orchestrator and ultimately showrunner producer of this franchise and maybe giving the reins over to other people to direct. I think that the the budget definitely hurt the film in a few ways that not only I've mentioned, but also producers and people involved in the in the movie have have mentioned. The humor is a little hit or miss. I mean, when it hits, it hits. But when it misses, it stands out more because there isn't that horror to really protect it this go around. So I really am back and forth. If I sound like I'm back and forth, it's because I am kind of down the middle with it. And so I'm going to give this entry 
two and a half good guy dolls out of five. Um, let's see, McKinsey, what do you think? Uh, you know, again, I've only seen it twice. I thought like this was more fun than I remember it being. And I think that's because I've been, I've come around on the comedy aspect of, of the Chucky series in a way that I didn't think I would after watching this show. So knowing, I guess, where it goes and, and how it feels more in line with the franchise now than it did when it first came out, I, I, I actually upped my good guy dolls to uh, a solid three mm. from what I had was I think two or two and a half before, um, you know, obviously you have to watch it in the time, you know, and what you came out because it, it is seriously dated in many ways now, but, but yeah, in terms of the franchise and butting up against the other films, I, I thought it was pretty entertaining. And I think Jennifer Tilly just carries the movie in a way that, mm-hmm. you know, I really appreciated this time around a lot more. So, yeah, for me, it's three good guy dolls. Raina, out of five, how many good guy dolls? You know, I don't have the context of the TV show and how it fixes its problems, but I can't say that I wasn't entertained from start to finish on it. Jennifer Tilly is pretty great. Some of the, like, taking the piss jokes on everything Hollywood and her are really good. Ah. I'm going to go with my gut check of two out of five. Two out of five? Yeah, I've seen worse fifth uh, entries in the slasher franchises. Yeah. For We've covered sure. Them. Yeah. <laughs> One's called sure. Debtor. <laughs> Razor Debtor. No, I'm no, that's, kidding. That's, no, that's, that's Inferno. It's Inferno. But Inferno. I, you know, I like Inferno more probably. <laughs> I don't know. We'll get there. So you're saying two good guys out of the five. Dan, Dan, I think you said you might have had a hot take here. Before we started this, like a week or so ago, I'm curious to see what your take is on Seed of Chucky. It's interesting because, all right, so for, I'm, I'll just front load my uh, my rating right off the bat, which is going to be three and a half good guy dolls. And I agree with everything that's said about, you know, some of its commentary or its depiction of gender, of, of you know, especially a non-binary character or a seemingly non-binary character with the movie, but then that makes it not very non-binary at the end. I agree in that's dated. I agree in that some of the humor is really dated, like the Britney Spears thing and just some of the just more zeitgeisty bits that we have in here. However, that being said, my hot take is that I actually do think it's the funniest child's play movie. Oh, wow. Even more so than Bride of Chucky. I don't know. I feel like there was a point where I maybe thought I enjoyed it more than Bride of Chucky, but then after rewatching Bride of Chucky, there's just a style that Brave Chucky has that this movie doesn't in terms of the action sequences and the horror sequences. But I do think the comedy sequences for the most part really excel in this film, which is why it's so high for me. Like I laugh my ass off when, whether I'm watching, you know what it is? If you look at Brave Chucky, I feel like the almost joke is that the two human leads are kind of boring in a way. I don't know. I don't dislike them necessarily, but they're sort of, they're so secondary to Chucky and Tiffany. Whereas I feel like here with Redman and Jennifer Tilly, I'm actually just as invested in them, or maybe not as invested in them, but I'm laughing just as much as them at, at them as I am Chucky and Tiffany. And just like Reno was saying, it was it's hard for her to look at this independently of the show, or, or, or they haven't seen the show, so it's 
hard to get that context. For me, it's the opposite. Now that I've seen the show, especially since I've seen it recently, it's hard for me not to look at this as a part of the show's mythology and seeing what does get rectified mm-hmm. later. So that's why I think I'm a little higher than some of y'all on it. So three and a half out of five good guy dolls. Three good guy dolls and a little severed arm, I would say. Ah, very nice, very nice. All right, that comes out to... I'm going to do my Gerberlytics. It's a 2.75 out of 5 Good Guy Dolls for Seed of Chucky. Well, we did it. We want to thank, once again, May Schultz for her work on this episode and most of our episodes, all the great editing that she does. Thank you, May. Thanks for the most for this season's opening and closing theme songs and really every season's opening and closing theme songs. You can find the most music, um, Apple Music, Spotify, other places that are not sponsoring us, you'll find it out there. Uh, Rain, is there anything you want to plug? Yeah, you can just uh, find all my work at bloodydisgusting.com. Mm. I am pretty much the video game person there. I do editorials and most uh, reviews that come through. So I'm the person that tells you if Diablo 4 is worth playing or not. How about this? Here's your next editorial. Where's the Chucky video game? No, because <laughs> no, they'll be like, one versus four is symmetrical multiplayer and you know. <laughs> it'll be it'll be a rabbit hole folks yeah. don't put the pressure on all right Rand, thanks a lot for joining us in this episode though it was great great times mac and dan obviously were part of the uh the halloween's podcast obviously because you're listening to this episode and in july we had on our patreon which is patreon.com backslash halloweenies pod we talked about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny as we wrapped up our fortune and glory Indiana Jones coverage. We also did commentary for a little movie called Jaws 3, a.k.a. Jaws 3D. And this month we're also going to be doing an episode. I can't remember if it's coming out before or after this episode. It doesn't really matter. It's called Now Showing, which we're going to talk about uh, three movies that came out this year, as well as three movies that came out in years past that we had never seen before. So those are always fun to do. It's kind of a newer series. And and Losers Club, Dan, I know the big episode coming up is Under the Dome, correct? Dan has gone the way of the dinosaur. Dan has been murdered <laughs> by <laughs> Chucky himself. Dan is dead. I will say that uh, Under the Dome, a, a few episodes on Under the Dome are going to be showing up on the Losers Club feed, so be sure to check that out. All things Stephen King all the time over there. But what can I say? Rana, thanks again. Mac, love you. Dan, I know you're out there in heaven. <laughs> we wish you all the best. Thank, but thank you what guys can I say? so much for having me. Long-time listener and fan. This was a blast to come on and talk about Cedar Chucky. We'll definitely awesome. have you back in the future. But for now, this is the end. This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more. <laughs>